This is kind of our last holiday sermon, and I know it's not like not a holiday, but we're kind of still in the holiday season maybe a little bit. And we're talking about transforming, uh, changing the way we look at things, how we think about things, so that um, our thoughts direct and, uh, and guide our actions. And so we're going to talk about changing the way we think today. All right, so that's kind of how. If we're going to go into uh, 2019 and, and we're starting over and it's all going to be good, we're going to talk about thinking differently. A few years ago, when Elise, I have four daughters. Some of you, um, some of you don't know who I am. I, I'm the pastor, and, and we have four daughters. And I have a 12-year-old, and you're probably thinking, that dude is old uh, to have a 12-year-old. And you're right. Um, but we heard grandkids are really great, and so we just cut out the middleman. And we had our own. But I have a 12-year-old, and... When she was about four, three or four, I walked into the kitchen and my wife Miriam uh, and she were having one of those um, three, or, three or four year old mom showdowns. And, and it was over cereal, right? Because she had gotten Lucky Charms. And everybody knows what's great about Lucky Charms. Go ahead, what's great about Lucky Charms? The charms, that's right. Um, that other stuff is <laughs> it's for chumps. And, uh, and so... This little three-year-old girl, my daughter, Elise, had made an agreement with her mother that if she got Lucky Charms, she would eat all of the cereal, not just the charms. Now, I'm old, and I had Lucky Charms yesterday. When you get old, you know what to do, right? You eat all the other stuff, and you save the charms for last. That's the way God wants you to do it. But when you're three or four, you don't know any better. And so she didn't know any better, and so she ate the charms first. And all she was left with were the other stuff. Now, Miriam <laughs> said to her, you do not get to get down until you eat your cereal. We made an agreement. You gave me your word. And so even when we're little, somebody needs to help us think right. Okay, you got to think right. And sometimes you have to change the way you think. And evidently Elise thought that she could get away with giving her word and not following through. And Miriam was going to make sure that she learned the lesson. If you give your word, you keep your word. And that's, that's a really important lesson to learn even when you're three or four years old. Sometimes we have to change the way we think and we have to change our actions. And the best way to change our actions is through changing the way we think. I heard a story, I really like this one. It was a a young lady, and, and at every wedding she would go to, her aunts would kind of come up to her and put their arm around her, and they would say, you're next. And you know, how, ladies, you know. I mean, that's just this kind of lot of pressure and everything. And she said she just got tired of her aunts every time they were at a wedding saying, you're next. And she fixed the problem because at the next funeral, she put her arm around her aunts and said, you're next. So, so, changes the way we think. Okay. So today we're going to look at a passage, and you probably know this if you've been in your Bible ever in your life. Seriously, this really isn't working. Vlad, are you going to do it for me? Thank you. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, and you, you know these verses if you've been in Bible or in the church much or read your Bible much. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There, there's something to be said. Paul is basically saying, if you want to change your life, you have to change the way you think. Now, 
This isn't for everybody, and I get this, but those of us who had a moment where we passed from death into life, we've committed ourselves to Christ, we understand that we're sinners and we have our soul is eternal and we want to spend our, our eternity with God, then we make a commitment to Christ. We ask Him to forgive our sins and we give Him our lives. That is a moment in time where we've had that, that to happen to us. And then there's more than just having a moment. It's not like it just happens and we don't develop. There's development that goes on. And, and this verse is about, hey, what's next? I've had my moment. I've become a follower. Now what? This is the now what? And there was a, a, a brilliant author by the name of Dallas Willard. Anybody ever read any of Dallas Willard's stuff? Okay. He, he's a lot like C.S. Lewis, um, really, really heady. And, and it's a little difficult to read one time, but he, he, he gave a really good explanation of, of this. What does this look like? And he used kind of an old school word, vim. You all remember the word vim and vigor. It means energy or, or things. And put, put that up for me, Vlad. He uses an acrostic, and we're going to kind of uh, tie into this today. The V stands for vision, the I for intention, the M for method. And I'll explain it like this. In just a little bit, it's about 11 o'clock now, so in... A half hour, we're going to be done, and we have to figure out our vision will be for lunch. Not now, in about a half hour. Okay. Now, a great option for us would be Mr. Salsa. It's right there, and we beat everybody else, uh, which is awesome. One of the reasons we have church at 1030 is to get to Mr. Salsa at 1130. That's, that's really, uh, there's no design other than Mr. Salsa's right there. Okay, just right up the road. Now, if my vision is I want to go to Mr. Salsa for lunch, then now I have to determine I'm going to do it. Because I could change my mind. It could get to about 11.30, 11.45, and I could say, you know, I'm not in the mood for Mexican food. I don't know who would say that. That's really un-American. But if you said it, you could say it. Because who, who is ever not in the mood? But maybe, all right, here's the scenario. You've had Mexican food the last three days in a row. And, and, and somebody says, hey, let's go to Mr. Salsa. And you're like, hmm, it's an option. I'm going to pass. I'm going to give you a hard pass on that. I'm going to go someplace else. So first I have to have the vision. Where am I going to go? And then I have to say, oh, I'm, I'm determined to go there. So let's say it is Mr. Salsa. I, I want to go there. I'm going to go there. Now I have to figure out the method of getting there. Because there are options. You've got options. From here you can walk. It's a quarter of a mile. Surely most of us can walk a quarter of a mile. After you eat, Mr. Salsa, you need to walk about a quarter of a mile. So this would be a win-win for everybody. You could hitch a ride on Wade Hampton. I'm sure that's fun. And uh, uh, go up uh, the 200 yards it is to Mr. Salsa. Uh, you could crawl. You could drive your car. You could hitch with somebody from here. And you could join. There are lots of ways to get there. So you got a vision. You're determined to live it out. And you're going to get there. How am I going to get there? This verse, these verses that we just looked at, give us all that. And so we're going to talk about those things today. All right, so the vision is to live a holy, God-pleasing life. And that is really tough because we, we sort of misunderstand what the word holy means a lot of times. How do I live a holy life? What does that look like? And so I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Well, what does it mean to offer yourself as a living sacrifice? We just came out of Christmas, and you all know Jesus was born. What town was he born in? 
Bethlehem, great, that wasn't a trick question. Um, Kansas, no, no, it's Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem and, and Jerusalem are really close, pretty close uh, together, pretty close proximity to one another. And so when Jesus' parents, um, when, it was eight, when he was eight days old, they took him from Bethlehem into Jerusalem where there's a temple and they offered a sacrifice. Vlad, next one. And, and when the days for their purification uh, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him. It's the same word that we just saw, to offer him to the Lord. Um, every Jewish family, when they had a firstborn son, would offer that child to the Lord. It, it's sim- they would symbolically lay Jesus or lay their child at the feet of God. Th- this was their offering. God, we, we offer it to you. And as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've been I've gone to the hospital where somebody's had a baby, and we'll pray a prayer. I'll pray a prayer for them. I'll say, do you want me to bless your child? And the prayer I typically I pray is something like this. I'll pray, you know, Lord, thank you for the safe delivery of this child. We, we are humbled that you are so creative, and we're thankful that you've given this child to this family, and, and we lay her at your feet. And she is yours, or we lay him at your feet. He is yours. And, and this is the sort of... Uh, it's sort of hearkening back to, to what Joseph and Mary did. They, they offered themselves, they offered their son uh, to, to, to God symbolically. They kind of laid him at God's feet. So it's the same, it's the same word here. Can we go to the next one? Um, Therefore I urge you to offer. Same word. The, the Greek word is peristome. And it just basically means to lay at God's feet. So... We're told that we are to kind of lay ourselves at God's feet, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this isn't the first time, nor is it the last time, that this particular command is given. Look at this one found in 1 Peter. But now you must be holy in everything you do. And people tend to gravitate to one or the other direction on this. When I see this, this, this command... Uh, to, to be holy in everything I do. Here's what I know about me and what I suspect about you. I'm not holy in everything I do. I suspect you're not holy in everything you do. Even if you're a follower of Christ. Even if you've been a follower of Christ a long time. We have a tendency to not always do what we're called to do. We have a tendency to stray. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have a tendency to wander. And so we have a tendency to go to one or two camps here. If we see the word holy, what we end up doing is, okay, we're going to make rule, holy rules. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. I mean, we're going we're gonna to make rules about being holy. Right? i got holy rules. Or, it's called legalism, by the way. Or we have a tendency to go this direction, and that is, I throw up my hands and I say, I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm either... I either get rules-driven or I just give up. And these are kind of the two paths that we have a tendency to take when we look at this idea of being holy. Now, I like this definition. I'm going to give it to you. I'm sorry, I keep punching this. Is this not even working at all? Is it on? Oh, maybe it wasn't on. (laughs) 
What a dork. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, boy, do I feel stupid in front of everybody. Okay. Blot, I just wanted to make sure you were paying attention. And uh, so, way to go. Um, to be holy simply means to, to be set apart by God for a special purpose. There's a verse that we, we look at sometimes, and I didn't include it in a slide, mostly because I didn't think about it till this morning. But this one is perfect. First, uh, Ephesians 2.20, or 2, 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, you know this verse, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I was a boy, we had, we had school clothes. We had... Um, we had Play clothes, we had church clothes, right? We had three kind of three different groupings of clothes. School clothes were for going to school. Great, all right, perfect. Play clothes were school clothes that now had holes in the knees. That's kind of how that went. Church clothes were for church. Did church clothes ever become play clothes? No, no. Church clothes were for church. I have an example of uh, church clothes when I was about 12 years old. Uh, this was me right here, right here. It's a wonder I didn't become a male model. Anyway, <laughs> now you could get in trouble if you wore your church clothes to do anything but church. By the way, who's going to wear that to do anything but church? <laughs> a brother wear that to play and it ain't going to be good for you. You know, it's like, dude, what's up with the bow tie? Anyway, all right, anyway. You wore, you, my mama and my daddy, by the way, mama's going to play football because she's got a helmet on. Anyway, um, <laughs> i got to turn it off. It's distracting me. Okay. Mom and Daddy bought church clothes for church. You, you get in trouble, big trouble, if you wore your church clothes out to play. You get your church clothes dirty, even if you're at church. See, I went to church and there were... <laughs> There were bad influences all around. The other kids, bad, influ bad influences. And my buddy Mike Wilson was the worst. And Mike would say, come on, let's go throw the football out back. It's like, I'm in my church clothes. I mean, you know, there was... St so we went out back and, and threw the football. Um, church clothes were made specifically for church. You, you stayed in your lane, bro. I mean, that was, you stayed in your lane with church clothes. When we're called by God, when we're called into the family, what it means to be holy is staying in our lane. You're different now. You're, you're to live a certain way now. This is different than... than playing around or going to school, you put on Christ. The Bible says you put on Christ. We're going to look at a verse in a minute about that. And so to be holy simply means I'm going to live a certain way because I'm a certain person now. 
When, when I was a teenager and I would be grabbing the keys to get my <laughs> Datsun B210 a babe magnet and uh, uh, going out, see, y'all, some of y'all too long, it, it was ugly. Uh, it, it was burnt orange, the worst car in the history of cars. Um, uh, I bet some of you are going, what's a Datsun? A- anyway, uh, I'd get in my Datsun B210. When I was going out the door, Daddy would say, remember who you are. What he was saying was, you're a vest. You're my son. You're representing the family out there. Remember who you are. Because daddy didn't want his name drug through the mud. He didn't want his name dishonored. Remember who you are. And so when God calls us to be holy, what he's saying is, remember who you are. You're one of the family. There's a certain way we live. We, we, we behave a certain way. It's just how it is. Now, what, what compels us to do this? Well, in view of God's mercies, we do these things. Be- because of what He has done for us. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. When I go back to Kentucky to visit my 85-year-old mother, she has a furnace under the house in the crawl space that you have to change the filter under the house. Now, every time I go, every time I go, without exception, I say, Mama, do you want me to change your furnace filter under the house? Because nobody's 85-year-old mama needs to be crawling under the house. Right? Do I do it because I like going under the house? No. Do I do it because it smells good under the house? No. Do I do it because there's no recluse... Brown recluse spiders and venomous snakes under there? Probably. Do I do it to get away from my my crazy family? Maybe. (laughs) Mostly, I do it because I owe mama. Right? How, How many meals did she prepare for me? How many times did I skin my knee that she... Uh, she bandaged me up. How many hours of worry have I given her cause to worry? I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces at birth. I will never repay her. In view of my mama's mercy, I go under the house. I, I feel like I owe her that. Right? Not because I want to, not because it's fun. I Owe her. Paul uses the word mercy strategically. There's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is when I get something I don't deserve. It's a gift. I get something I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. I deserve punishment, but I don't get it. In view of God's mercies. By the way, I think think the next verse... Yeah, I love this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And so I was thinking about this verse when I was driving in today to to church. And I was thinking about all the things I should be thankful for that I often just sort of not. Lord, thank you for the sun. I got to see the sun today. I haven't seen it in a month. Thank you for the sun. Thank you that my house sits up on a hill, uh, you know, and we're not swamped and and my septic tank works like some of y'all ain't working uh thank you god for um 
for my health, for my kids' health. For a, I don't deserve a great wife, but I have a great wife. I don't deserve to be a part of a cool church, but I am part of a cool church. Thank you, God, for your mercies. His mercies are new every day. He is faithful to us. And because of what God has done for us, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Think about this. He's the one that gave you life. He gives you gifts. He gives you uh, abilities and talents. And He helps us. He, he heals our broken hearts. He heals our broken bodies. He takes care of our families. He is worthy. He goes to the cross so that we might have life in view of God's mercy, which are new every morning. Our vision is to offer ourselves completely to Him. The second thing is, our intent is to offer them as living sacrifices. This loses something in translation. The first century people who heard this would have said, because oh, all they knew were animal sacrifices. What are you out if you offer an animal sacrifice? You, you have to purchase the animal. You sacrifice, you're out the cost of the animal. If you offer yourself as a sacrifice, what are you out? Everything. You're, you're out everything. It, it's, it's everything. And, and Paul uses the word urge. Now, tomorrow night, there's this big football game. Y'all know about this? Okay. I don't know if you'd heard or not. Yeah, it's big. And there's going to be a coach in both those locker rooms. And Saban and Dabo, they're going to urge their team. And, and they're going to say... Things like, uh, our opponent is worthy. And uh, if, if you're Dabo, you're going to say, they're the national champions, and we're here to make sure they don't repeat. And if you're Saban, you're going to say, these are our ne- and because uh, he can't even talk. And, uh, uh, and, and we're, we're against them, and, and they're great, and we're going to have to be better, and we're going to have to give our and I need you to just step up and they're going to give one of those rousing speeches and at the end everybody's going to go Woo! in the first century when you were going to battle your commander would urge you but think about the difference in playing a football game and going to war because when you go to war you might not come back pretty sure everybody that goes to, 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 to this football game tomorrow everybody that plays in the game they're not risking their, I guess they are a little bit, but they're, but they're probably going to come back. If you're a commander talking to your charges and you're encouraging them to go to war, what you have to say is there's danger out there. And you might not come back, but it's worth the cause. What you're willing to sacrifice for is worth it. It's worth it. That, that's what you have to get across. It's, it's, it's worth it. In view of God's mercy, I urge you, because of the cost that Christ paid, because we want to spend eternity with Him, because uh, of, of everything He's done for us, because of the sacrifice He's made, it is worth our best effort today. I urge you. See, Paul was giving him, giving them the pregame speech in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because of everything else, because of what Christ has done, we should do this. 
But we have the vision. The vision is to live a holy life. We have the intention. We have determination to do it. And now the method is to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because how our minds go determines how we behave. How I think determines what I do. And we, leave, we live in a, um, a society with lots of messages out there. There, there are lots of, lots of ideas, lots of worldviews out there. I'm going to give you a couple because I, I thought of a couple. One is called materialism. Materialism basically says whoever has the most is the most. The more I have, the more important I am. If I get more than you, I'm more important than you. If I'm more successful than you, I'm better than you. This one is prominent. People who have more get better. That's how it works. Materialism. And it is whispering in your ear, you need to get more. There's one word that describes materialism, it's more. The second word, second ism out there, there's narcissism. Narcissism is basically saying it's all about me. We see it in expressions like follow your heart, uh, have it your way, obey your thirst. You do you, boo. That's about narcissism. I was born on the tail end of the boomer generation. The boomers are known as the me generation. We're disloyal. It's all about us. I will step over you to get what I want because it's all about me. That's what narcissism is there. And that voice is whispering in our ears. Then, then you have hedonism. Hedonism basically says, if it feels good, do it. It, it really... God might say not to do it, but I think it feels good, therefore I'm going to do it. It's about how I feel. It's all about how I feel. And so, I might be a male, but I feel like I feel like I feel like I might be a, a female, so I feel this way, so this is what I'm going to be. It's, 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 if, I, if it feels good. Now, what was the key word in our verse in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living what? Sacrifices. Sometimes you just don't get to do what you want to do or how you feel. Relativism basically says that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. This one's tough, especially in our world today. Because as followers of Christ, we would say, okay, our standard is Scripture. And a relativist would say, well, that's good for you. It's just not good for me. You can do what you want to do, bro. That's not my standard. Relativism basically says, I've got my own standard and I'm going to live by my own standard. Atheism, bless their hearts. There is no God. So, the slogan of the atheist is, grab all the gusto you can, mostly because this life is your only gusto-grabbing opportunity. This is all you get, so you might as well grab all the gusto that you can. Humanism is next. Humanism basically says, I am my own God. God created us with a, a, a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and we're going to fill it with something. And what's really kind of ironic is God shaped that for Himself, and sometimes we insert ourselves into that. And, and it works for a while, it just doesn't work forever. And this verse is amazing to me. I love this one. We take captive every thought. Every one of those isms, atheism and hedonism and relativism, 
materialism, all those things, we take those thoughts captive mostly because they're trying to get in to our minds. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ because if we are going to put on the clothing of Christ, if we're going to wear that clothing, we're going to obey what He says to obey. And Jesus one time said, People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus affirmed Scripture. And so, the the clothing of Christ, the behavior of Christ is found in Scripture. It's just kind of how it works. The bottom line is, if you want to change your actions, you have to change the way you think. And Jesus put it this way. He said, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a fruit is good... Uh, if, if a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A couple of years ago, Kellogg's, the great uh, cereal company, they had to recall 28 million boxes of cereal. That's a lot of boxes of cereal. The lining evidently uh, didn't smell good. And the lining was, was causing the cereal to be bad. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't brand, like horrible cereal. It was real cereal. Apple Jacks and, and Sugar Pops. You know, good stuff. <laughs> stuff God wants you to eat. Um, uh, it was the good stuff. But, but the liner was bad, therefore the contents were bad. The box looked great. The box was colorful. The box was appealing. It wasn't about the box. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Why are you on the inside? Jesus goes on. A good person produces good things from the treasure of a good heart because the heart lining is right. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasure of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account. Oh, this is daunting. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. And I know we aren't to add an addendum to Scripture. And I know we're not supposed to add anything. But I think the inference here is, if we were to write it today, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak or post or tweet. And I don't know if you know this. People are posting and speaking and tweeting idle words. I don't know if you know it. Well, if you've seen any of that, it's out there. I'll show you on my phone all the time. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, remember who you are. That's not who we are. As followers of Christ, we're clothed with Christ. This is not who we are. A few years ago, the iPhone 4 came out. I think we're up to the 10 now, but the iPhone 4 came out. And when it came out, it had a little glitch. If you held it a certain way, it didn't work. <laughs> Back in the day when you actually used the phone to talk, uh, that was a big deal. So Steve Jobs, uh, the late Steve Jobs, had a solution. It was brilliant. They would say to him, Mr. Jobs, when we hold our phone this way, it doesn't work. His solution, don't hold it that way. It's brilliant. I mean, really, it's the greatest advice ever. If that doesn't work, stop. (laughs) If 
if what you're doing isn't working, stop. See, here's what the darkened soul looks like. Transformation begins from the inside out. It's an inside out process. Let me look at this verse. For although they knew God, again, this is Romans, this is Paul writing to his friends in Rome. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, were dark. Social science tells us, there's a guy by the name, I'm going to spell this guy's name for you because this is amazing. Uh, It's pronounced Cheekson... Mahi. It's spelled C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. He's brilliant, uh, from what I understand. Um, You can't say his name, but it's brilliant. And he did lots of research around our, our minds, how we think. This is what he found. Contrary to what we assume, the normal state of the mind is chaos. The human mind on its own will bounce around at random and tend to dwell on worry, problems, anger, Judgment and temptation. So, in prison, the worst, the worst sentence you can have is solitary confinement because you're put in a place where all you can do is think. When we have kids, we put them in timeout chairs. It's, hey, go there and think. The reason we don't like silence is because we don't want to think. And what he's saying is, our mind, if left to itself, has a tendency to, to go nuts. Daddy used to say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. We have to change the way we think. How do you do it? I'm going to give you two quick things how you do it. You have to ingest God's Word. I say it pretty much every week. If you're not reading Scripture, please, let me, I'll beg you, please start doing that. There's nothing more transformative in your life than to read God's Word. It says here, fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When I was about 20 years old, I I did summer missions in Hugo, Oklahoma. There is nothing to do in Hugo, Oklahoma. Nothing. Has anybody ever been to Hugo, Oklahoma? Of course not, Uh, because it's like in southeast. There's nothing there. It's right next to Broken Bow. Does that help you? Uh, There's nothing there. So my buddy Mike Wilson, the troublemaker, uh, and I went on summer mission together, and we had nothing else to do, so we read our Bibles. It was probably the most transformative three months of my life. It's amazing what the Bible will do to your spirit if we simply let it get in. The second thing is, put on and put off. Or as Mr. Miyagi would say, wax on, wax off. Okay. Look at this. Look at this. This These are three cool verses. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes. Don't wear your church clothes to play. That's the translation. It's rough. Remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You put on the right close. So then he ends, Paul ends his verses in Romans with this. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I am a huge HGTV fan. I love it. Anybody else? Chip and JoJo? Anybody? Mm. Now, Chip and JoJo, they'll take a house like this and make it like this. Same house, right? And what do we know? Every time, every show's the same. It's every show's the same. They take a house like this. Usually on the inside, there's bad stuff. Um, it doesn't have an open feel. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it may has, maybe it has mold um, or critters. Those are fun. Uh, and so uh, they'll go into a house and they'll, they'll, it's not very valuable because it's messed up. Right? They never go into an already fixed house. That's not what they do. They go into a jacked up house and they see the value. They see the value. So what do they do? They pay for it. They pour money into it. In one hour, it becomes that. It's amazing. I've tried that. It takes a little longer for me. But they're great. They do it in one hour. There's a biblical word for this. It's called redemption. They never use that word on this show, but redemption. You know what redemption is? God sees a messed up us. And He sees the value of what it could be. Now, they don't buy the house on these shows before it's fixed. They buy the house, uh, I'm sorry, after it's fixed. They buy the house before it's fixed. And then they fix it. And then it's a showpiece. Right? That's how it works. They buy it messed up. They pour resources into it. It becomes a dream home. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for us. While we were jacked up. And He pours His life into our lives so that we can be a dream home. I mixed metaphors today. Now I'm using homes before I use clothes. It's all the same principle. When we clothe ourselves with Christ, there's a certain way He expects us to behave. We behave that way when we transform our minds to remember of all it cost Him to purchase us in the first place. When He purchases us, we, He clothes us, and that's our ambition is to live for Him in that lane. That's the way we're supposed to do it. Father, the, the amazing thing is that even when we were sinners, and even if we get dirty today, we get messed up today, maybe we're in the family and we've strayed and done really dumb things, even then, you welcome us home. Even when we were sinners, you died for us. And the amazing thing for me is, I know me. And there's not one thing that was worthy of you doing that. 
And yet you did it anyway. Because I'm your creation. You see value. Father, that is just really awesome that you see us that way. That you see in us what we could be. What you want us to be. What you've designed us to be. Help us, Lord, to begin to see ourselves like you see us. Help us to live like you want us to live. Help us to put on Christ and help us to live like Christ. Lord, give us a new mind so we might think right and act right. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.